Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com technews. That's ShipStation.com technews. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Whatever happened to the tiny house movement? Tiny houses started as a minimalist revolution. They ended up as an Instagram aesthetic. By Eve Andrews. In 1997, Jay Schaefer built his first tiny house, a miniature country chapel with tastefully weathered wood, a high-pitched roof, and tall crimson-trimmed windows. The exercise was part design challenge, part architectural rebellion. Schaefer's abode measured roughly 12 feet tall and 8 feet wide, less than the minimum size required for a house dictated by most building codes. But as Schaefer would soon learn, Tiny home living appealed to more than those with just a taste for civil disobedience. While most Americans were never going to move en masse into trailer-sized homes within certain environmental circles, it was fairly common to hear someone sigh into a Nalgene and declare, I'd really like to live in a tiny house someday. The idea particularly seemed to enchant people who idealized a low-footprint, quality-over-quantity style of life, one in which they could awaken in a loft bed, wrap themselves in linen, brew a French press in a compact yet exquisitely designed kitchen, emerge onto the tiny dew-covered porch and sip thoughtfully as sunlight filtered through pine needles. One of the very early tiny house adopters, Schaefer is sometimes credited with inventing the mini-cottage aesthetic that launched this fantasy. In 2000, he founded his own design and construction company, Tumbleweed Tiny Houses, and by the time he left the company 12 years later, the business had seen exponential growth. An entire ecosystem of tiny house blogs, books, reality series, and documentaries had cropped up extolling the virtues of living better by living with less. But for all the hubbub, tiny houses never really entered the mainstream realm of home ownership. Instead, they entered the province of tourists seeking a brief decampment to a smaller scale, climate-friendly lifestyle. You're more likely to encounter one while scrolling through $300 a night Airbnb listings than browsing Zillow. This is not to say that the tiny house movement failed. Rather, the expectations placed upon it were too high, that it could take on all the sins of a bloated, profit-driven housing industry and deliver us as a nation to a humbler, happier way of living. Schaefer defines a tiny house as one in which all the space was used efficiently and nothing was lacking. A more technical definition is a structure taking up no more than 600 square feet, with permanent provisions for living, sleeping, eating, cooking, and sanitation. 
But those are relatively palatial parameters for the more hardcore tiny house devotees. They would argue that a true tiny house is 8.5 feet wide and able to fit on a wheeled base, like an RV chassis. The amenities of such structures can range enormously from a barely glorified camp bedroom to a fully functioning home complete with hot water, a composting toilet, and a solar array. A tiny home with all the trimmings might set you back $100,000 or so. Not exactly a small investment. But shortly after the 2008 recession and housing market crash, tiny houses started to look appealing to a generation of young people disillusioned by their parents' overblown, overmortgaged homes. There is also, of course, an environmental appeal to a tiny house. The size of a house strongly correlates with the resources required to keep it powered, cooled, and heated. If your home is very, very small, your personal use of those resources will be quite minimal. Granted, this is equally true for a Manhattan studio as it is for a tiny house, and a Manhattan studio will never need to be hauled using a 500-horsepower truck. And extremely limited storage eliminates the opportunity for wasteful consumption of stuff a significant American climate culprit. In 2011, Christopher Smith, freshly out of college and starting to imagine the shape his adult life might take, bought a plot of land in middle-of-nowhere Colorado with the dream of building a small homestead on it with his own hands. The precipitous costs of meeting building code requirements quickly eroded that vision, and he began to lose faith in ever having enough money to have a home on that land. By chance, Smith's mother had recently sent him a copy of Yes! magazine, with tiny house movement pioneer D. Williams on the cover. After reading Williams's profile, he realized that the wheeled design of the tiny house base would remove the costly requirements of building a foundation structure that was up to code. It made the whole project possible, he says. For me, the tiny house was a solution to a problem. But for a lot of people, I think it was more of a lifestyle choice to simplify, downsize, control finances, a bit of a different motivation. Smith built the house with his then-partner Moret Mueller, and the two filmed the whole process in a documentary, Tiny, a story about living small. Suddenly, tiny houses were popping up everywhere across the internet. In 2014, the debut of the Netflix home improvement-style reality show Tiny House Nation had launched the movement fully into the mainstream, and that was around when, to hear Jay Schaefer tell it, the good intentions of the tiny house movement became overshadowed by consumer obsession. The industry became a commercial thing, he said. It wasn't so much about civil disobedience or about aesthetics so much as it was about selling houses. In 2005, when the sustainable housing developer and writer Lloyd Alter first laid eyes on a sleek solar and wind-powered tiny house on wheels designed by the architect Andy Thompson, he fell completely in love with it. It was a gorgeous modern design and he imagined toting it around the continent to park in beautiful scenic places and show at conventions. He happily paid $120,000 for it. But what he quickly learned was that hauling the house was prodigiously expensive. One such journey from Toronto to Philadelphia cost around $4,000. And finding a place to park the damn thing for long periods was nearly impossible. If you don't own land, it's very challenging, especially in cities, to find a place to legally park a tiny house and connect it to utilities. Even if you do own land, you might be subject to all kinds of restrictions on the usage of your tiny house due to the aforementioned pesky minimum housing size requirements. As tiny houses surged in popularity, along came the contrarian blog posts. The tiny house dream is actually a nightmare. Are people actually happy in tiny houses? And, a personal favorite, 
screw your tiny house and the tiny horse it rode in on. The tone implied that people who had fallen in love with tiny houses had been fooled by an unrealistic fantasy and had been forced to slink back to a mainstream normal size lifestyle. It kind of became political in a way that it wasn't, said tiny documentarian Smith. When I started to learn about tiny houses, a lot of conservatives were in this movement, people who were looking at ways to be more self-sufficient and live a simpler life. I think what ended up happening was there was a group of people who started taking it as liberal ploy to get everyone to cram themselves into tiny houses, saying that's what the environmental movement wanted, and we saw a lot of those reactions to our movie. Mueller and Smith didn't live in the tiny house they built together for more than a couple of months. They moved to New York for some time to work on their documentary, and eventually broke up. Smith moved to Los Angeles, intermittently transporting the tiny house around rural properties in Colorado and Montana. The cost and ordeal of moving it became too onerous, and he eventually sold it in 2020. For her part, Mueller ended up staying in New York. I was always excited about tiny houses as an ethos and a philosophy that could be applied to other square footages. It didn't have to be a 120-square-foot house that fits on a flatbed, she said. Minimalism, experiences, and relationships over material possessions, those are still things I really stand by, and still kind of how I live my life. A New York City apartment is perfect for me. This story is part of the Grist Arts and Culture series, Remember When, a week-long exploration of what happened to the climate solutions that once clogged our social feeds. Thanks for listening to Wired. I'm Zeke Robison, and for more stories just like this one, visit us at Wired.com. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more – and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.